51 with a kid in college and another in high school, I'm firmly in the sandwich generation and have been for years. These are folks who find themselves caring for kids and providing support for their older parents. On this episode, I talk about my experiences and offer advice for those who find themselves in a similar situation. Don't worry though, it's not all serious. I also take a look at the recently concluded RPG blog carnival over at Lair of Secrets and geek out about the first of the zine quest zines arriving in my mailbox. Welcome to Newcom Radioactive. I am your host, Ken Duquist, and I have survived the apocalypse. Okay, that may be a little dramatic. It certainly looked like the apocalypse, though. We were recently inundated, overwhelmed, blanketed, suffocated. Well, suffocated might be a little too extreme as well, but we were recently um, overcome with a, a really massive amount of smoke from up north in Canada. It blanketed all of eastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, um, and uh, just Wednesday of this week was surprisingly overwhelming, quite honestly. Like, you know, normally I can be in downtown Easton and look up the hill and I can see the college and then I can see the uh, the hills beyond that up in Forks Township and I could barely see the hill. Um, it was the, 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 the buildings in the city itself were fuzzy and, and difficult to make out and the sky was just this this weird yellow beige, um, you know, the, the sun was kind of just like this red disc. It was very, very odd, <laughs> very, very strange. And honestly, uh, legitimately difficult to breathe. I mean, um, I'm in pretty good shape. And when I went out for lunch, you know, it doesn't really matter how good of shape you are. If you're breathing in all these particulates, uh, it's going to mess with your lungs. So we stayed inside Wednesday night instead of going to scouts. And thankfully, by, by Thursday, things got better. And by today, Friday, we had blue skies, white clouds, and pretty much back to normal. There's still lingering smoke smells, but I can't tell if that's what's in the atmosphere or just in the house because it really just got everywhere. I really feel for folks who have to deal with forest fires more frequently than us. We, we generally don't get them in northern New Jersey. They're, they're more of a southern New Jersey thing in the Pine Barrens. And... Uh, Damn, it is. Uh, it was tough. It was definitely tough for everybody who was was in the area, and I'm I'm glad we were able to get past it relatively quickly. So over at Lair of Secrets this month, we were hosting the RPG Blog Carnival. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the uh, RPG Blog Carnival, it is a monthly event in which a host blog identifies a topic and then invites well, pretty much everybody to write about it, which is a lot of fun. I've done it a couple of times at Nuketown. And I was excited to uh, bring the event to Lair of Secrets. For our carnival topic, we did changing gears, which really, it could have been anything. Could have been, uh, you know, switching to a new game, switching to a new gaming group, what have you. And so uh, we invited people to write about it. And we got a couple of different entries. So we have uh, Codex uh, Anathema talking about the Marvel multiverse, which is, which is cool. I have not picked up this game yet, but... As a Marvel head, I feel like I kind of should, even if I never actually get to play it. Because, you know, Marvel, I, I don't have that many sor Marvel source books for RPGs. I have the old uh, Margaret Weiss version of uh, Marvel superheroes, which, again, I never actually got to run. But I could definitely see picking up this book because, you know, make mine Marvel. 
Uh, we have Plastic Polyhedra writing about short campaigns. So I think a lot of folks are like uh, are like the Black Razor campaign or the Black Razor gaming group, my Sunday group, where we have a tendency to just run long form campaigns like we run them for just multiple years. This article is talking about how to run a campaign that's more like two to three months featuring maybe 10 adventures. And it's a different approach, right? Like when you've got years to tell a story, you can have all of these different plot lines that can come together or diverge or what have you. When you're running a shorter campaign, you really have to be more focused and you have to think about what the thrust of that particular campaign is. So check out Plastic Polyhedra's post about it. There's going to be links to all of this stuff in the show notes. And of course, you can get this over at Layer Secrets as well. Seed of Worlds wrote uh, Shifting Gears Over a Campaign, which talks about a multi-year campaign in which it it switched gears going from a city campaign to a hex crawl to extra planar excursions to mythic adventures to dungeon crawls, which sounds great and sounds like some of the experiences I've had with the Black Razors over the years. Uh, here at Nuketown, I wrote a post called uh, Go Big or Go Bigger, which was about using bigger battle maps in your online games. One of the things that I noticed during the pandemic as we shifted to gaming online is that our battle space actually got smaller. You know, when we're playing in my game room, we have, you know, I roll out my Chessex battle map and it's as big as the table and the table's pretty big. And and that was the limiting factor. When you're online, the limiting factor often turns out to be the size of your monitor, right? And so just like in a website where the first thing you see when you when you when the website loads is the thing you interact with, I think because people were assuming because people's views into the battle map is limited by their browser and by the size of their monitor, people were designing their maps to that size. So you'd have maps that were like maybe maybe 15 by 20 cells across or maybe like 20 by 30 cells across if you're if you're lucky you know amounting to a map that might be 100 to 250 feet across that's that's not a very big map when it comes to things or rather it's not a very big map when it comes right down to it right so if you want to have a big overland battle where people are slinging lightning bolts back and forth if you want to recreate some of the iconic scenes from Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or what have you, where you've got people on horseback racing across the field. You just you just can't do that on a small battle map. So my post was all about the challenges of going bigger, the ideas behind going bigger. And now that I'm actually having a chance to do it, I'm going to be updating the post with my experiences with running it. Uh, spoiler, uh, it worked out really, really well. People enjoyed it, but there are some gotchas they kind of have to pay attention to. But more on that in the future. Over at Lair at Secrets itself, uh, Chris Miller, our uh, <laughs> overlord emeritus, uh, came in and did a post about solo RPGs like Ironsworn Starforged and his experience playing those. And we have our own uh, contribution in the form of a podcast, which was episode 14, Changing Gears, where we talk about changing campaigns, changing genres, changing game systems, changing gaming groups, and the things that you really need to be aware of when those things are happening. So, for example, if you're changing genres, I recently went from doing space opera to cyberpunk. You know, you might, as the GM, want to sit down and read a bunch of cyberpunk books. You might want to watch movies like Robocop or Blade Runner to kind of get your brain ready for the new game. You may want to talk with your players about, well, what do you think is cyberpunk, right? Like, how would you define the genre? What appeals to you about cyberpunk? What do you want to do in this game? 
Because I think when you're playing a game like Dungeons and Dragons or when you're playing a game that you've been playing for a while, well, geez, you already answered all those questions. But when you're switching gears to something new, especially something really new that nobody's ever played before in your gaming group, suddenly there's questions that you may not have had before. And so it's, it's good to ask them. <laughs> so anyway, changing gears worked out pretty well. We'll have a summary post over at Lair of Secrets. You can check it out at lairofsecrets.com. In other geeky news, the zines are coming. Uh, 40 Fiends, a bestiary, which is compatible with Morkborg, has actually arrived. And I guess I should take a step back for a second. Why are the zines coming? Because of Zine Quest. So back in February, we had Zine Quest. I did a special episode about Zine Quest for Nuketown. So you go back and check that out. And so I bought a bunch of different zines, and now they are actually on their way. So 40 Fiends has a whole bunch of monsters for Morkborg. And it includes things like acid apes and hive sprites and bone felons. It's got that crazy thematic art that you get for Morkborg where extreme colors, like just, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm, I don't want to say a messy design, but they, they take advantage of the full design space, right? So it's not just like the clean lines that you find in your average Dungeons and Dragons supplement. Um, it's cool. I don't know if I'm going to get to use it ever for a Morkborg game, but there's stuff there that, well, I love monster books, and I can easily see taking something from this book and using it in my D&D game, just, you know, coming up with D&D stats or retheming something that's already existing in D&D to fit one of these kinds of monsters. Because mostly, this is an old school RPG, at least Morkborg is an old school RPG style game. And so there's not a lot of stats. There's some very basic mechanics, some basic stats, and a lot of flavor text and, and flavor visuals. I don't know if you can have flavor visuals. Visuals that inspire you to say, oh, this thing is awful, right? And so it should be fairly easy to port these to other games. Also coming soon, hopefully, is Pressure Point, a game in which you destroy your zine by poking holes in it. That's the actual game mechanic, guys, that you, you make decisions or you impact the game by taking a pencil and jamming it through the surface of the zine which I just thought that was super cool. And I just can't wait to try out this mechanic. We had just recently gotten an update from the Kickstarter campaign indicating that it was getting ready to be, I guess the final proofs were done and they were getting ready to release it to PDF. So I have to keep it at track of that one and see uh, exactly, you know, when it's going to drop because I can't wait to play with it. Cause it just sounds like something that 12 year old me would have absolutely loved. Um, progress is being made on the other zines I backed. They're not arriving yet, but I can see that I think everything I backed is actually making progress, which is which is pretty cool. And I think I'm ahead of last year in that regard. Um, if you want to see the complete list, you can check it out on Radioactive 101, Return of the Zine Scene. So the last thing I want to say, or rather ask during this segment of uh, kind of Nuketown news portion of the podcast is, hey, if you like the podcast, leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts. I think I've never asked for a review before. And unsurprisingly, there are no reviews. So I'm including links in the show notes. If you like the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you can leave a few kind words. Uh, you know, it does make a difference. It does help the podcast get noticed, as does releasing new episodes. And you leaving comments inspires me to want to release new episodes. So you help me, I'll help you, we'll all get more content. Thank you for leaving a review. So for the main topic of this podcast, I'm going to venture into less geeky waters. Um, and I want to talk about 
the sandwich generation and my experience with being in the sandwich generation, or rather, I guess, being in a sandwich generation, there's going to be many generations. And certainly we've all had to deal with this at one point or another. And, and basically, so what, what does it come down to? As I alluded to in the beginning of the podcast, the sandwich generation is defined as parent, uh, parents who are raising children who are younger than 18, who are also handling multi-generational caregiving, right? So you're raising kids, plus you're taking care of maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe, you know, an elderly aunt, heck, maybe even your neighbors, because, you know, you've got somebody who's really close that you're helping out with. But the point being, you've got both young children or, you know, maybe middle school children or what have you, and, uh, and older parents and dealing with different kinds of issues coming at you from, from many different directions. I have some links to uh, helpful stories about this over at uh, BBC and BetterUp. Um, those links are in the show notes. But one of the statistics that was interest that I can't, that was interesting um, that I found at uh, Pew Research was uh, in 2018, 12% of American parents with children younger than 18 were handling multi-generational caregiving. So there's quite a few people out there who are who are having to deal with this particular scenario. And honestly, I've been doing it for a while in different in different flavors. So back in 2014, I was the legal guardian for both of my grandparents, um, with my mom for my grandmother and for, with my sister for my grandfather. And I was guardian for them until they passed. So that included things like navigating, um, moving my grandfather into a care facility, a, um, a full I'm trying to, I was going to say full service care facility, but basically he had had um, uh, a person who was um, providing medical care full time in home, in house, and he needed to move to a full time care facility. Um, and so I had to navigate getting him into that facility, um, convincing him that he needed to do it, um, selling his house to pay off the reverse mortgage that he had taken out to cover that medical care that he was getting in his house. Um, and also uh, like just frequent visits to the care facility to talk with him, deal with issues as they arose, that kind of thing. Um, after my uh, my grandfather passed away, I became the executor for my grandfather's estate, which it wasn't a particularly large estate, but uh, you know it's still it's work to distribute money, even if it's not um, you know you're not talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. It's still it's still work and it still needs to get done. And although that's not quite part of the sandwich generation. Um, well, you know, definition, it, it just kind of was a natural extension of what I had already been doing with my grandparents. Um, and the same thing with my grandmother, she was at the similar facility. Actually, I think she was at the same facility for a while. Um, and you know, she, she had dementia, so it was a different use case. My grandfather was very sharp all the way up until the end. Um, and well, relatively, right? Like, you know, he could, he could get confused about things like, you know, managing his checkbook and whom he had made donations for and those kinds of things. So that's why, you know, I had to become guardian. But, you know, in terms of like holding up a conversation and being mostly alert, you know, if he was he was pretty good, not always oriented to time and space, but he knew I was who I was, he knew who my wife was, he knew where my kids were. And so at the time all that was going on, um, my kids were 11 and 8. And gosh, when it started with my grandmother, my my daughter was even younger. I think she was three, four, something like that. It all gets a little fuzzy as time goes on. But in any case, it 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 took a while, you know, like when you're dealing with juggling kids and getting them to school and them being sick and you being sick because they're in school and you pivot from them to taking care of my grandparents. It was 
it was a lot. It made for some very, very long days. Um, so flash forward to 2020, um, and now I'm helping my parents. Um, both my grandparents passed away a number of years ago. And so um, my dad's now in a care facility and I'm managing my dad's doctor's appointments, um, coordinating local care. So uh, making sure that he gets to where he needs to be, um, visiting him to deal with random problems. Hey, if you're wondering, you know, gee, this sounds an awful like a lot like what I did with my grandfather. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same sort of stuff, right? Like my dad's phone would stop working in his room and I'd stop by and figure out like what's going on. Um, he has macular degeneration, so it's harder for him to to see things because his vision isn't great. So experimenting with large button phones and pre-programmed phones with, um, you know, like the numbers for my sister and I programmed in and with our names in very large text so that he could see it. Um, and my kids are older now, which which makes it easier. Um, my kids are 20 and 16, almost uh, 20 and 17. Like I said before, one's in college, the other's in high school. But, you know, it's still it's still a lot. Um, I'm active in youth organizations for my son. I've been the scoutmaster of his troop for the last four years. Plus, my family's been doing seeing eye puppy raising. Plus, you know, married life. Plus, oh, wait, yeah, that's right. I got a full-time job. So if you think that sounds like a lot, it it's because it is a lot. And uh, it's I'm saying it not so much as a, oh, woe is me. Everybody feels sorry for Ken. It's more just to say, if you're in this situation and you're feeling overwhelmed, it's okay because it's a lot. <laughs> and you should just accept that it is a lot and and think about ways that you can have um, strategies to help deal with it. So for me, the impacts were you feel like you're being pulled in every possible direction. You know, you, you get through work, you get through the day, you, maybe your kid was sick, so you got to pick him up from the high school. And then you know, the next thing you know, there's a phone call because like my dad fell out of bed and now I have to deal with that situation. Right. And it's not like it's a life threatening thing, but it's a it's a phone call. It's figuring out if there needs to be a doctor's visit. Maybe he went to the hospital. I need to visit him there. And it's it's just you're never going to know when it's going to happen. And that's the other thing. Uh, disruptions just become the norm. Uh, it makes short term and midterm planning more challenging. Like, obviously, you can still have your plans and you should defend time. But it's it's just a challenge because you never know when some new disruption is is going to come up and you might have to cancel those plans. And so it can work against your mental state because you're like, well, why should I even, I don't know, schedule a, a visit to the Iron Pigs with my friends? Because it's just going to get blown up anyway, because kids, parents, whatever. Um, but you got to avoid that trap <laughs> as best you can. And kind of in, in tandem with that, it, it just it saps your motivation, right? It's, it's because it's so disruptive, once you've gotten through the day of, of dealing with, with all of those interruptions, it's hard to stay motivated and work on your own projects. You know, you've noticed <laughs> over the last few years, there have been fewer and fewer uh, posts on Nuketown, uh, fewer uh, podcasts. It's not all because of the, uh, the sandwich generation, but you know what? Sometimes you get home and it is hard to want to do anything more than sit down, watch TV, and maybe uh, have a beer, you know? So what do you do with it? Because it sounds like a lot. And as I was saying, it is a lot, right? Like accepting that it is a lot, I think is, is a, an important first step and being okay with that, right? Like I think knowing that you're overwhelmed and acknowledging that you're overwhelmed is is important when it comes to the situation and knowing hopefully before it happens <laughs> right maybe seeing the wave building 
and taking some proactive steps. So what can help with that? Um, you know, talk with your friends or a support group. Uh, it can feel lonely um, and, and trapped in the middle of all these things, but you'd be surprised at how many people are in a similar situation, which honestly is one of the reasons why I'm talking about this podcast or talking about this topic on this podcast is because I think it's the sort of thing that people just need to hear, especially if you're my age, if you're, you know, 40 to 50 and you've got kids and parents, which I suspect goodly number of you do, <laughs> um, you're going to be in that situation. Be, and, and being able to find people to talk to is important. Being able to vent is important. Getting advice and suggestions is helpful too. And I think keeping it all bottled up inside and, and you can feel like you're the only person who's dealing with this. And, you know, for me personally, just mentioning it to my gaming group was a was big, right? Because, you know, it, it wasn't a thing that any of us were talking about. Um, it, it came up here and there. We, we you know, we're, we're pretty close. We've been together for, you know, 26, 27 years at this point. And so it's not like we don't talk about challenges when they come up. But I don't think we talked about it as much during the pandemic. We had had our, our individual crises. Like one of the guys had the, his dad pass away. Um, and obviously we talked about those kinds of things. But I think being able to just kind of rant a little and then offer each other ideas or just support on on how to deal with situations was was really really super helpful and it turned out you know i had thought well, gee do i need to find a support group for people who are in my situation who are also uh, in a sandwich generation situation and it turned out no i just i just needed to talk to the black razors so another bit of advice i have for you is is document everything um you know, I don't have the world's greatest memory. If I don't write it down, I'm not going to remember it. And the thing is, you have a lot of stuff to keep track of. My dad has, I don't know, six or seven doctors because there's all these just you're different specialists, right? As you get older, there's just more specialists that you can see. And if you've got a number of medical issues, you're going to see them, right? So neurology, cardiology, endocrinology, urology, right? All of the ologies <laughs> show up. Uh, vision doctor, heck, the dentist, right? And so it's enough to be keeping track of my doctor's appointments and my kids' doctor's appointments and coordinating, um, you know, my wife's doctor's appointments. But when you throw in managing even just one parent or grandparent's doctor's appointments, it's just a whole, you know, it's like a, it doubles <laughs> the amount of work that you need to do. So, got to make it easier for yourself. You got to document everything. Make sure that all of the doctor's phone numbers, names, addresses are in a Google Doc or maybe in like I'm I'm currently keeping them in a, a pages document that I have shared with my mom and my sister. And it's helpful, right? Because I can go to that document when somebody asks me, hey, who's this cardiologist? We need to reach out to him. Well, I'm not going to remember that off the top of my head. I'm not certainly not going to remember the phone number, but I can pull up this doc and I can have that information. Um, the other things that we've used this uh, these platforms for is keeping track of medical histories. My dad's had any number of issues over the years. Um, being able to go back to that document, which I'm very thankful that my mom put together, was super helpful. Because again, I'm not going to remember all the details. Nobody is going to remember all the details. Um, good memory, bad memory, you're going to want to have to consult something because if you're trying to remember what happened you know, six years ago, when did that heart attack happen, right? And, and what was the follow-up to the heart attack? Being able to have those notes ready to go so that when you're transitioning, say, to a new cardiologist, you can refer back to your notes. It's, it's super helpful. Um, Leverage digital access. Our local health networks have a, have the MyChart app, which provides online access to patient information, including doctor contact information, appointments, test results, all that kind of stuff. 
been super helpful for hospital stays. And for me, because you can do delegated access, uh, I was able to share access with my sister because she and I um, are, are working together to coordinate my dad's care. And that's super important because that way she can just go in and see the information that she needs. She's a physical therapist, so she has much more of a medical background than I do. Her being able to go in and see the test results, her being able to go and see things without me having to try and translate it is just huge, just absolutely huge. And having an app that reminds you of when appointments are coming up and, and you know, encouraging you to check in ahead of time and all that good stuff, it's just, it's a major help when you're trying to coordinate all these things for yourself, your kids, and your parents. So other bit of advice, delegate. Um, hopefully you won't have to do it all. Uh, you know, delegate as, as much as you possibly can to siblings, other family members, spouses, like have the conversations, just don't take it all on and try and be the hero on purpose or accidentally. It's a lot. It's going to be, and at some points it's, it's going to be too much. So being able to divide up the work, which is what my sister and my mom and I have done has been really helpful because now I know, okay, so my sister is going to take the lead on calling the medical doctors, but I'm going to take the lead on making sure that the facility and I schedule his actual real world appointments. My sister is a couple states away, so she can she has the time to make the phone calls. She has the medical experience to make those uh, the inquiries, and I can be the guy on the ground who's who's going from here to there, checking on my dad, that kind of stuff. But I'm not taking it all on, and and I gotta say it's 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 hard to to delegate. Um, because you're you're in the middle of it, and so sometimes you're taking on so much of it that you don't even realize you don't even realize what you've taken on. <laughs> it's not it's like it's a slowly boiling frog, right? Uh, you know, you you just don't realize how much you're doing until suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, there's this is too much. I can't keep doing this. Um, so before you get to that point, delegate. If you're at that point, delegate. If you're past that point delegate. And it's not necessarily even just family members. There are services out there that you may be able to leverage, right? Talk to your county's local office on aging. Um, there are people out there who can provide you advice. And, you know, you can talk to your own medical provider. You can talk to some employees like um, the, the college where I work has programs to support employees who are um, having to help manage uh, elderly parents or childcare, right? Like reach out and see what resources you have. You may be surprised at what's available. And the last thing, and I can't stress this enough, is you gotta take time for yourself. It, it may feel selfish, but it's crucial because the disruptions are constant. It's, it's important to be able to get away even for an hour and focus on yourself. It's again, it's not selfish, it's self-care. And you know, you, you cannot keep running continuously. You have to take the time to, I don't know, spend 30 minutes reading a book or an hour playing Diablo or, or go for a bike ride, go for that run. Like keep yourself active and find some distractions that let you just get a break from it all. Because if you don't take that time, you're going to get burned out. And if you're going to get burned out, you're not going to be able to help anyone, your kids, your spouse, your loved ones. So I'm curious, you know, what other people's experiences have been. If you have thoughts or recommendations or ideas, feel free to leave a comment. You can also contact me directly at nuketown at gmail.com if you're not comfortable posting on the site, which I would totally get. 
You can reach me again at email at nuketown at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. The links to those are in the show notes. Uh, there's also, uh, I'm also on Dice Camp. So all of those have private methods for messaging me. If you're more comfortable just, you know, chatting more informally, totally cool with that. As I say, I've been down this road a couple of times. Um, I tried to hit the highlights for the podcast, but, you know, I may have had some experiences that could help you out. And I'm always willing to, uh, to help out other folks. And finally, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, leave a review over at Apple Podcasts. Not a thing I've asked for before, but, you know, who knows? You leave a comment or two, might help the podcast grow a little. Thanks, everybody. I will talk to you, hopefully, in the not-too-distant future when I will be delving into my summer reading list for 2023.